uh, as I've already shared with you, uh, it didn't even dawn on me that today was Palm Sunday until maybe earlier in this week when Lori brought it to my attention. <laughs> so when I had left, I had prepared what I thought was a nice sermon, but it had nothing to do with Palm Sunday. It was just a continuation of our study of Acts, which is what we're going to do this morning. Because I think it's an opportunity for a lot of things, and one of those is this. is to demonstrate that Jesus came to pave a way to accomplish many things, but one of those to was, pay, was to pave a way, a way for us to follow. A way that the Apostle Paul has been following as we've studied through these later chapters of the book of Acts. Later chapters of the book of Acts. So what we're going to do today is this. Is, and, and, and Laura and I were talking about this this morning when it finally kind of hit me that it was Palm Sunday. I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to take the sermon that I've got prepared to preach on Sunday and make it into a Palm Sunday sermon? But it comes down to this. If you want an overall view of what my intention here is this, is this is Jesus came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday To live, but at the same time, to suffer and die. Remarkably, we happen to be in the particular part of the book of Acts where, where Paul himself is returning back to Jerusalem. There's a sense in which what we're looking at here is not technically Palm Sunday, but it's as if this is Paul's Palm Sunday returning back to Jerusalem. after being on the mission field for so long. And so how do we take that and apply it to us? It's this. It's that God has given every one of us a path to walk. And it's leading also for you and I to Jerusalem. Not to the same Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem that will ascend or descend from heaven at the time that Jesus returns. There's a sense in which Paul was living out the example that Jesus had laid for him beforehand. There's a sense in which that is true for all of us. So we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 22, verses 7 or 37 and following this morning. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, or Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. 
And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they came even more quiet, became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will accept your testimony about me. They will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in, some, in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed. in you and when the blood of Stephen your witness was being shed I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him and he said to me go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles Just as Jesus was faithful in walking the path that the Lord God, his Father, had set before him, so we find the Apostle Paul being. Just as God the Father had led Jesus into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he is now leading Paul into Jerusalem. And Paul is determined to walk the path that the Lord has set forth before him. The question for you and I today is this. Is are we? Are we willing to walk the path that the Lord has laid before us?
understanding a few things. And one of those is probably as a Christian, you're going to experience some of the greatest, most wonderful, joyful experiences in your whole lifetime. And if you haven't experienced that, I would question as to whether you even are a believer or not. That certainly is a big part of our picture. But at the same time, we understand this, that being a Christian very often means trial and tribulation. It's part of God's plan for us. I mean, it's hard for us to even fathom the changes that took place in the Apostle Paul. It was like he was one person and then he was an entirely different person. He was truly a man transformed. I mean, he literally was doing everything he could to stamp out this thing called the way before it got started. He saw it as being contrary to the will of God. He saw himself as God, one of God's greatest advocates. He cared about God. He cared about the true worship of God. And he believed that there were a lot of people who did not have the zeal for God that he did. Paul has now been arrested and bound with two chains. And the text that we have before us is sometimes or very often called <coughs> Paul's defense. I'm not sure that's really a good title for it. Some unique things about this is Paul speaks to his captors not in Hebrew or Latin, but in Greek. One might think that in Jerusalem he would be speaking otherwise, in Hebrew. He makes note that he is a citizen of no obscure city. Being born in Tarsus, Paul was automatically granted Roman citizenship. So he's not only a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. What we have here before us this morning is Paul's most detailed account of his own testimony. Two other times in the book of Acts, he gives his testimony, but it's not quite as detailed as it is here. One of the things I want to bring to our attention this morning is this, is just like Paul, we all have a testimony. And God calls us to share it.
Let me tell you, if we, have a, if we call it a testimony, if we don't share, it's not a testimony. <laughs> For it to be a testimony, we have to testify to it, right? Our lives, like Paul, will involve times of very great spiritual highs and at other times spiritual lows. Times of very great blessing and other times of trial and tribulation. You know, this, this victorious Christian living that some people want to paint a picture of, I don't find to be true. I mean, every now and then you will bump into someone that has that mentality. Is that is, they always seem to be happy. Nothing ever seems to get them down. They're just full of joy and happiness constantly and continually. I have a hard time believing that any sinner can ever get really, truly to that point. I think a lot of times what we see is people trying to convince us that they are at a place where they really aren't and we aren't either. Our lives as Christians, just like with Paul, are going to involve points of very spiritual highs, but at the same time, spiritual lows. Being a Christian is almost, it's not like, you know, traveling on this straight path that has no crooks, no curves, no up and downs. It's more like being on a roller coaster. Our faith will be tried at times. But it's never God's purpose for our faith to be destroyed. It's always God's purpose to strengthen our faith and to build our faith. Paul makes a request to his Roman captor. Permit me to speak to the people. Which he does. And the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostle, and with a mere gesture of his hand, the screaming mob was silenced. These people that were crying out for Paul's blood suddenly are completely silent. We understand that only God can do something like that. Silent for a reason, and that is because Paul had a message to give to these people. It was God's message. It was obvious, I would imagine, to everyone that was there that something supernatural was going on here. Sometimes God's presence has that effect on people. A calming effect. But that's not always the case. 
Sometimes it creates fear. Sometimes it even brings forth anger. There is some similarity between Paul entering into Jerusalem as Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. But there's a lot of difference too. And part of that being that for a brief time on Palm Sunday, Jesus was held as the king. And he was celebrated as being the king that God had sent. But we understand this, that as the week unfolds, the perspective of the average person is going to change. Because they're going to find out that the king that God sent is not the king that they, ne- that they actually wanted or desired. The king that they wanted was the one who was going to deliver them from Roman oppression. For most of them, it didn't get across their mind at all that this king came to deliver them, but it wasn't delivered from the Romans. It was delivered them from themselves, from their own sense of self-righteousness. That is why we're going to see that the same crowd that welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday when in short time turned on Jesus like a rabid dog. Of course, there are exceptions to that. What the, what the people did not realize on Palm Sunday was that Jesus did not come to deliver them from the Romans. He came to deliver them from themselves. From their sins and from the consequences of that sin. And what does Paul do to, to argue for the truth of the gospel? It is, he gives this testimony. You can see him do this over and again. So you may be saying, well, what is the testimony? Well, you know, as far as a Christian goes, the testimony is basically this, the circumstances surrounding our coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We all have a testimony. Some of them may be very long and some may be very short. Some may be really heart-wrenching in ways and others may not be so much. But the fact of the matter is, is if we are believers, if we truly trust and hope in Jesus, then every single one of us has a testimony, just like Paul did. And this is one of the principal tools in Paul's evangelism toolbox is his testimony. You see him do this over and again. So just like with Paul, one of the principal and primary tools that God has given you and I in our evangelistic toolbox is our own testimony. What were the circumstances under which God brought me into his kingdom? Paul was not only a Jew, Paul was an outstanding Jew. 
He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. He was a leader among the Pharisees. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Very noted rabbi in the days of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. A leader in the synagogue in Jerusalem. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, Paul studied under the best. Paul was zealous. So zealous was he that he states here that he had persecuted this way to the death. In other words, Paul's admitting that he was, took part in the deaths of people. Paul believed that the great threat to the purity of Israel was the emerging sect called the Way. Now Paul's converted on the road to Damascus. As committed as he was to Judaism, I would say he was far more committed to Christianity once he was converted. Paul was actively persecuting the church. He was doing everything he could to snuff it out before it got started very well. That what Jesus says is that we was actually persecuting him. In other words, when you mess around with Christians, when you mess around with church members, you're actually messing around with Jesus himself. He recounts his conversion on the way, the road to Damascus, which we studied many, many chapters ago. Remember the light that suddenly appeared and the voice that spoke to him. The 
voice that spoke to him said that he would be told in Damascus what had been appointed for him to do. Revealed to him. Again, I want to emphasize that Paul understood that he was not, he knew that he was not worthy. He was not fit. He says this, he says, When the blood of Stephen was shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Remember Stephen? We studied all, uh, back in Acts chapter 6, I think it was. His martyrdom. Paul was there. He witnessed it. He encouraged it. He enabled it. Paul knew more than anyone else is revealed in what he says here that he was undeserving of God's favor in any way, shape, or form. Nonetheless, he received it. The word charis, grace, appears in the New Testament 121 times. 101 times. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Paul knows grace. He understands grace probably in a way that you and I don't because Paul was brought to his knees. He was brought to the place that God really showed him how bad and how awful and how deep his sin really was to the point that he was completely undone by it. That's why Paul understands grace like maybe the rest of the apostles maybe didn't. Paul's blindness on the road to Damascus was only temporary. God sent Ananias to him to restore his sight. But Paul was transformed that day, never to be the same Paul ever again. Paul was blind, blinded on that road because he saw the brilliance of the glory of God. But it was restored to him. The Lord made Paul a great hero of the faith, a great defender of the faith, arguably, possibly only second to Jesus Christ himself, even standing out among the apostles themselves. Why?
I think it was because of where God brought him from. To where he came to be. I think that Paul, above all people, understood just how undeserving he was of God's favor. But at the same time, he seems to have had more of a ministry, more of an impact in his day than anyone in history that we can come close to even thinking of as far as the church goes and an expansion amongst the Gentiles in particular. It's not very likely that anyone in this room is going to be used to the magnitude that God used the Apostle Paul. Most of us are getting closer and closer to (laughs) what lies ahead, right? It would be very easy for us to just kind of sit back at this point and relax, to go on cruise control. That we understand that's not God's will for us. It's never God's will for us. that we might retire from our professions and we might retire from some aspects of our culture and society and that sort of thing. That we all have a common profession. And that is a profession of evangelist. Some obviously to much larger degrees. But there is a place for every single one of us in this picture. We are living in a world that is more and more contrary to the gospel. Persecution of the church is beginning and it's probably going to get worse before it gets any better. In today's evangelical world, I'm not talking about in, you know, in this particular aspects, but the evangelical world. The vast majority of church plants fail in their first five years. So four out of five tries don't make it and there are a host of reasons they're giving issues with the character and ability of the church planners inadequate support choked by internal conflict disparity between vision and implementation a lack of balance between inward and outward focus 
Some actually have a desire to be small. They're resistant to growth. They don't want new people. They do things basically to keep new people from entering into the fold. Can you imagine? So why do I bring this to our attention? Well, it's for a lot of reasons, and one of those is this. is We started out as a church plant 28 years ago. When I came here, you know, I felt called to be here, and, and, and the, pe- the people here obviously felt I was called to be here because they called me to be the pastor and, uh, you know, and all of that. Now we've been here now for almost 30 years. Today, in the evangelical world, it's almost unheard of for a pastor to remain in the same church for 30 years. And let me just tell you, there are, there are reasons for leaving and there are wrong reasons sometimes for leaving. We are in the process of a transition. I'm on my way out. And Mike or someone else is on his way in. I hope Mike realizes this. Is I do not see him as a threat to me in any way, shape, or form. At all. I love Mike as much or more than anybody else in this room. I think I know Mike as well or better than most of the people in this room. It will be up to you guys to decide whether Mike stays here. Not me. Not the session. He cannot, he will not ever be pastor of Springs Presbyterian Church until such time as you vote him in. You guys are in control of this whole process. I am not, as some people might think I am, I have little to do with it. But I'm 70 years old. How many people here were still working when they were 70? Some of you are. Some of you still are working and you're older than I am. Why did I even bring this up? I don't know. I just want all of us to be on the same ground because I think this, I believe this with all my heart, that everyone in here wants the best for Springs Presbyterian Church, period. No one in here is an enemy. No one in here should be treated like an enemy. I don't know about you, but I love this congregation in in a huge, unbelievable way. You know, being a pastor, being your pastor has been the greatest privilege in my whole lifetime other than being Lori's husband and my children's father. And I would say that to anybody. 
Well, maybe me and Riley and Nancy's son-in-law too. The church was going through a lot of changes in the days of Paul. All kinds of changes. Change is part of the picture. It always has been. And it's good. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So happy Easter. Uh, don't forget about Monday, Thursday. It's always a very special service. And one of the principal things is this, is we spend a lot of time praying for, for members of the congregation. We're going to do the Lord's Supper, but you're also going to have an opportunity to sit with one or more of the elders and have them pray specific, specifically and particularly for you and, and, and that sort of thing. So I really would encourage you here to be here uh, if you can be. And, uh, and just remember, we have invitations for Easter service. And just remember, like we've said already, and that is that people are a lot more inclined to come to church on Easter than they are any other Sunday during the year. So, so t take a few of them. If you don't have one, you can always just verbally invite people. You don't have to have a written down piece of paper uh, and that sort of thing. And we usually do have a pretty good turnout on Easter, and hopefully this will be another one of those. And maybe some people in this room, the first time they ever came to church, it was on Easter Sunday. Uh, but anyway, that's that.